Hello and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm one of today's co-hosts, Alok Tai. I'm the VP of Life Sciences at Ignite, and we're a secure content platform focused on key global industries. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, today's other co-host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is organizing the world's life sciences expertise and is the place to discover, build, and manage on-demand life science teams. I'm very excited to welcome Paula Reagan, co-founder and CEO of X4 Pharma. Paula, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. So to kick this off, we'd love to start with your background and career journey and how you got to where you are today. Thank you, Rahul. So I've been in the life sciences industry now for over 20 years on the commercial side. Way back when I started out as an engineer, worked uh, as an undergrad through mechanical engineering, and then ultimately did a PhD in biomedical engineering and also got exposed to the medical side through this wonderful program at MIT and uh, went off down a postdoc. So I was originally kind of thinking of going off into the academic world as a professor with the idea of discovering and mentoring and growing a team. And I think I quickly realized in my own academic journey that I'm a more pragmatic person. I think what I've always enjoyed is the application of innovation to helping people. So as I did a little soul searching on my own, I realized that it was really time to get into industry. And it was at a wonderful time of innovation. It was actually right around the time of the human genome sequencing with Solera as the private venture. And then there was the public venture at the NIH. And I actually joined Solera at the time. It was my first job out of my postdoc. I was there for uh, a few years during a really interesting time with the competing publications in nature and science and then building a business. It really helped connect the dots of the technology of our industry, how to ultimately discover and advance medicines for patients. And from there, I went on to a few other smaller companies working in corporate development. And probably where everything came home for me was my time at Genzyme. I was about 10 years into the industry, I think, at that point. And then I had a a wonderful gift of being hired at Genzyme into corporate development. I spent six years total there. About two-thirds of it was in corporate development, and a third of it was in supply chain and manufacturing, which is a really excellent training ground for leadership and decision-making and certainly commitment to patients. From my time at Genzyme, the company was acquired while I was there. I think the culture changed and it changed in the right direction for the patients that the companies were serving. But for me personally, it was extremely large. Of course, there's very different cultures in larger companies. And so my entrepreneurial streak kind of really, I think, inspired me to try to go out and forge ahead and join smaller companies or start my own. So that's a little bit of the start of my story with X4. You know, obviously, given the time that you spent at Genzyme, especially here in Boston, I often describe the diaspora of talent like yourself from Genzyme akin to sort of what PayPal was in Silicon Valley, right? Where folks like Elon Musk, amongst others, sort of came out of that institution. Would love to hear a little bit more about your time at Genzyme, given how important that institution has been to the Boston life sciences ecosystem. And it sounds like your career, the culture, the people, what you learned there, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. I think my time at Genzyme was probably life-changing. And I mean that in the way where it really helped see that good medicine then can drive good business. Um, That was certainly a quote Henry, I think, could be attributed to and certainly was the way the company operated. 
it was incredibly entrepreneurial. It was very supportive of people speaking up and sharing ideas. My first job there, which is a great kind of hallmark of the way the company operated was I was brought into a corporate development team that was considered the white space. They had certain divisions within the company that were already formed. They were always looking for game-changing medicines, uh, regardless of therapeutic area. And so that was the team that I first joined. And I absolutely loved it because I think the company appropriately had a very high bar for what game-changing meant because they were some of the ones to first deliver these game-changing therapies for Gaucher's disease and Fabre's disease. So I liked being held to a high bar, but I loved looking for more and looking for other types of opportunities that could yield that. It, it was life-changing. You know, it was, it was that patient game-changing focus. It was freedom to innovate and drive ideas and opinions. And it was very supportive of speaking up, speaking out and believing in something and trying to sort of champion something. Even at the junior level, I was an associate director championing investments in companies or championing M&A opportunities. And it was a wonderful place. And at least in that context, given that you've worked with and or seen sort of the cultures at other life science companies, what do you think distinguishes one that is more innovative than another? Oh, that's a great question. So I think there's probably a yin and yang to innovation because there's that passion and vision, right? Innovation is believing in something that is not yet real. And then there's the expertise to de-risk it in reality, right? You have to come up with the realistic plan to implement and try to de-risk that vision to make it real. For me, when I think about that type of you know, yin and yang that combines into sort of a very holistic and successful combination, I admit Genzyme and, and X4 are sort of my, my longest tenured companies. So when I think about the broader ecosystem in Boston, I think there's so many companies doing that. There's such an, a huge investment from VCs and from public funds and starting these companies and them being so successful. I mean, obviously, Third Rock is a great example of kind of that ability to create sustainable change and innovation uh, as a VC group. I think the fact that Big Pharma has kind of taken root here also creates a real sense of blend of the innovation and reality because you need both. <laughs> yeah, that, that's great, Paula. And now with that foundation from your days at Genzyme and the entrepreneurial culture at Genzyme, would love to know how you parlayed that experience into X4 and what your own entrepreneurial journey looked like that led to the founding of X4. I think I've always had this, you know, is it nature or nurture? But I think there's part of me that's DNA encoded to want to create and lead one of my daughters is almost a carbon copy, so I kind of see it, see what, what's happening along the way. I think I've always been wanting to help patients. I want to create solutions. The leadership component is, is harder because that in, involves inspiring, which in some ways is almost decoupling agnostic data and, and sort of there's a hybrid approach there. So as I started my entrepreneurial journey, I think I was definitely more of like the mad scientist feeling. I think Genzyme helped me recognize the value of the leadership and inspirational components to helping. It takes a village to do this, right? It's not one person's going to change, you know, history on a drug, but they can inspire teams to follow and do that with them. So I think I wanted to try that, right? I, I felt like I'd seen all the ingredients together. I felt like I knew maybe what intrinsic ingredients I had and what I had to build around me, but it's hard. 
you know, it was hard to, to break into it. One of the toughest things is to break into the investor community because they do like to either home grow their own ideas or home grow teams and people that they have prior experiences with and histories. I remember one person saying to me, so my last job when I left Genzyme, I was the senior director of supply chain. And I remember them going, you want to be CEO of a venture-backed company and your last job title was senior director of supply chain? Good luck with that. I just sort of, you know, what are you supposed to say to that? I'm like, yeah, okay, well, I do wish myself luck and I'll keep going until I need to do something else. I'm a big Red Sox fan and I, I really like Dustin Perdroy. He's, just, you know, retiring this year, but I, I read his book and he's like, one of us is going to be right. You know, you say I can't, I say I can, one of us is going to be right. So I, I use that a lot on many given days during my entrepreneurial journey because it was not easy. There was a lot of doors being knocked on, a lot of no thank yous or, you know, not nows or no answer at all. So it was tough to get the company started, but ingredients that did come together was a license from Genzyme slash Santa Fe that took longer than it ideally would have liked to. But at the end of the day, it was very successful. There are a lot of people rooting for me within the Santa Fe Genzyme umbrella that really helped make it happen. And it was very successful. And then once the assets were spun out to Formex 4, I had done the right legwork with a group of Boston executives who were part of Genzyme or other successful ventures like Cubist. Mike Bonney was a big component to helping me in the beginning and getting the company off the ground and a number of others. So it was networking, knocking on doors, being, you know, gritty um, and trying not to, you know, trying to keep remembering the patients. The patients aren't have the hardest days, like my hard day. And sometimes they're pretty tough is nothing compared to the day of a patient that doesn't have a treatment or a diagnosis or, you know, is fighting through whatever issues that they have. So I try to keep perspective, but you got to be gritty. Anyway, that was the start of X4. It was a bit atypical. And I think, you know, Henry played a big role for me in a lot of different ways. I remember I wasn't very confident about raising money. I think I had, again, I had the ingredients, but I had never put them all together in a single recipe. His confidence in me made me, calmed me down. He's like, if you know, you can raise money was literally his comments. And I was thinking, I'm glad you feel that way. You know, I still have yet to prove myself, but I I definitely played that back a lot along my journey because it it certainly helped me move forward. Then he was also very challenging. He was a co-founder of the company um, at the time and made the initial investments. And at one point I had a fork in the road on decision-making about what additional investors to include in the company. And You know, there was A versus B. He would have preferred A and I wanted to choose B. He could have literally said, no, we're doing A. Like he could have put his his foot down because of his ownership stake, but he let me make that decision. And I think that's actually a really great reflection back to Genzyme. I think Henry was really supportive of innovators. Even if you made a mistake, I believe he thought I was making a mistake at the time, but he let me make kind of make my own mistake. Retrospectively, we we had one conversation actually before he passed away. And I think the conversation he alluded to that I didn't make the mistake. He sort of had the chance to rethink things with more information. And it was a very gracious moment for him. And, you know, again, the whole journey has been life-changing for me. So it's been a great moment to kind of launch X Forward for. And it's a very different company than it was during those days, but hopefully we're growing all in the right directions. Thanks, Paula, for, for sharing that. One follow-up question, as you reflect back on, let's say, your, your younger self from the founding days of X4, and for the folks that are listening that are entrepreneurs, 
What are some of the lessons or perhaps the most salient lessons that you took away? What would you do differently if you were to go back to your younger self? I think keep believing, even when people sort of want to sort of undercut or tell you why not to believe, just keep believing. Some of what they say might be right. Some of what you believe in might be right. But it's that total pack. You just have to keep believing. You have to. <laughs> it's it's like the fuel for the fire. You have to keep believing. If, if, if that's really where your, your heart has to, to drive you, I, I really am so committed to that. And probably the other thing I might say is like, I've learned the really difficult and important concept of management. It's such a trite word, or I don't think people really understand what the word management means. It's not directive. It's like, how do you manage it all? How do you get people with expertise and knowledge and commitment and championship and imperfections and gaps because we're all human? And how do you work that puzzle piece? How do you create the picture with all the human commitment that people are so willing to give you generously? But then it's your job as a manager to guide that appropriately, to develop it, to grow as quickly as the company is growing. It is incredibly, incredibly, I think, underappreciated. People talk about leadership and entrepreneurship. I'd really like people to go, management, yeah, (laughs) but it gets a little bit of an undersell, but it is incredibly important for the growth of the industry, not just any one company or person, but we, I do think it's a really important and undersung element. And I had no idea about it. I had managed some people, but (laughs) never to the complexities that are needed for these companies as they grow. Well, you know, it certainly sounds like you've had a a lot of really interesting experiences and obviously also some great mentors like Henri and amongst others. We'd love to learn a little bit more about X4 specifically now and the science and uh, some of the the assets you perhaps licensed. Yeah, learn more there. Sure. So X4 is really, I would say we're the world experts in this particular area of immune cell trafficking that is driven by a target called CXCR4. And the, the target's been well validated out in the biological and pathophysiology world as a key driver in normal immune cell trafficking and normal immune cell maturation. So that's like a giant umbrella, right? Like what can you do with that? There's a lot to explore. There's thousands of publications sort of demonstrating CXCR4 activity and how it can influence disease. And where the company has chosen to focus under this, you know, incredible umbrella is following human genetics, right? Let's follow these patients. And so our initial areas of focus are on diseases that are caused by mutations in this receptor. So the normal receptor is involved in normal trafficking. When the receptor's mutated or changed, there's a few amino acids here and there that can be changed. It becomes almost more permanently turned on. And that's a problem. And it's a problem for patients that are born with those mutations or certain cancers actually also acquire that same mutation. And uh, it basically leads to a host of limitations of the immune system that we're addressing with our oral small molecules. So the, the company has tremendous potential in this large umbrella But I think as a smaller company, we also have to recognize what's the most valuable contributions that we can make. It's getting a drug approved. Something where patients don't have anything is one of the most valuable, probably maybe human contributions our industry can make. The first disease that we're going after is a rare disease called WIM syndrome. These patients are born with mutations in their DNA that cause white blood cells to get stuck in the bone marrow. When that happens, your natural army of fighting infections is immobilized. They can't go anywhere. They can't do their jobs. 
And we have a once daily capsule that can correct for that and restore your immune cells ability to traffic, fight infections, and hopefully create a more sustainable life for these patients. I always think it's a quite a gift to have a, a disease caused by one problem and you can have a drug that potentially could address that exact root cause. It's something I almost feel like we're obligated to commit to as an industry because it's pretty unique. So we're off, we have a global phase three um, ongoing in WIM syndrome. So we're at a very interesting point in the company. We're already starting to uh, certainly think about commercialization as it relates to WIM syndrome. Then I mentioned another way that this immune cell trafficking and target are relevant, but there's a lymphoma, a rare form of blood cancer called Waldenstrom's that amazingly also has this same exact genetic mutation, except it's just in the cancer cells. So these cancer cells become bad actors, they become immobilized in the bone marrow, and then they're resistant to treatment. So they're almost sort of like little terrorists kind of hold up in the bone marrow. And our job is to like get them out and expose them to a different cancer treatment so that they die off more readily. So that trial will actually read out in uh, the first half of this year, which will be a really big moment for the company. It's going to be, you know, hopefully the first proof of concept demonstrating our concept with this mechanism and hopefully benefiting cancer patients as well. That's awesome. And it almost strikes me as somewhat similar in the approach sort of Vertex had, right, with cystic fibrosis, which is one very specific genetic mutation, a specific small molecule to sort of go tackle that. So is it safe to say that X4 is going to be the next Vertex? Oh, I would certainly, uh, I hope so. I mean, it's it's funny that you bring them up. I was just kind of looking at their history as, as a bit of an analog um, as we think about some strategies. And they've just done a tremendous job completely changing the landscape for cystic fibrosis. And I would certainly love if X4 could create that same type of paradigm for certain patients, you know, certain landscapes of immunodeficiencies or whether they be congenital or cancerous, it would be a wonderful uh, story to look back on. Indeed. You know, one thing I'm kind of curious about as you were explaining the different diseases you were going after is this natural tension I feel like that emerges in terms of resource allocation between the fundamental science and the platform, if you will, versus specific lead programs. Any chance you could help us think through or rationalize that tension and how you make resource allocation and decisions as a result? Oh, that's an excellent question. And I do think it always should exist. We always should be prioritizing and challenging ourselves. I think this is where the philosophy of the company is really important. So I've always thought about creating optionality. Our industry is too binary, right? Like a safety issue happens, you're all done. A competitor comes out in terms of the Vertex history, right? They were actually in HCV first. They got a drug approved in 2011 and pulled it off three years later. Like how did that, that doesn't even exist. <laughs> So, I mean, there's so many binary situations in our industry. So in my view, it's really about optionality. And then optionality allows you to create different paradigms of investment within your portfolio. But you should have a portfolio, everybody. That's where the innovation, the research needs to exist. There's just too much complexities for us not to kind of create a what next approach in terms of innovation. It's always just about what fraction of dollars goes to A, B, or C? Um, and then how long in the alphabet do you go in terms of creating your options? So big fan of, of research. And even at X4, um, when the company went public, um, which we can you know talk about that story, but we went through a reverse merger and the company we merged with had a small research team, like a, a wet lab. And I was overjoyed at this because I had always envisioned x to still have a footprint in innovative research, wet lab research. We were doing it through collaborations before this event. 
So it was a little bit like adopting a family, like, yes, like rather than having to grow your own, like we inherited this group of excellent scientists who've really helped us and they could be readily applied to the, the X4 vision. And they've been with us ever since. Big commitment from us as well. That's awesome. Well, you know, you brought up sort of that, that the three letter word IPO or, or I guess going public through reverse merger. We've obviously been seeing a lot of innovation, if you will, in terms of how life science companies are financed. Would both love to hear the story of the reverse merger, but also maybe your perspective on those different approaches and maybe some pros and cons? Yeah, absolutely. So briefly tell you the X4 story and then maybe speak more broadly. But I think in X4's case, we were on the road to go public. But as I mentioned, optionality is always something I'm a big fan of because you just don't know how external factors change. We were actually drafting our S1 working on a crossover as well. And the public markets actually quieted down quite dramatically at the end of 2018. Q4 of 18 was like this blip of like all went silent. And at that time, one of the investors we had had a very good relationship with was on the board of a company that was going through a reverse merger and they invited us into the process along with a subset of, I don't know, maybe a dozen or two other companies. And then we were selected by their process. So we had the choice of, do we stay on the IPO route or do we do the reverse merger? And actually that's where the patient lens came in. I promised myself that by the time we started our phase three and whim, that we needed a capital infrastructure and an investor base that was in it for the long game with us, because a phase three trial is not for the faint of heart, no matter where you are in the world. I really wanted us to be public when we started the phase three, because that gave us the right access to capital to support the brave patients who are going to be on that journey with us. And the IPO markets went very quiet, kind of pretty abruptly. So the reverse merger is a guaranteed path to going public. So we went down that route. I do believe it was the right decision for the patients and the company for sure. A bit atypical and it like everything, there's pluses and minuses to all of the journeys that we take into the different investor bases we experience, but it's been a, a net very good decision for X4. And then um, you mentioned SPACs and obviously the traditional IPOs and they're all different strengths and challenges depending on the markets and the timing and the stage of the company. I think SPACs are very interesting in terms of creating these additional, like it's a new window for companies to get out under and a new structure, I guess is the right word. Biotech is hard, right? The more options we have as a company to figure out the right financing vehicles, I think it's great. I think people should keep thinking about different ways of being innovative in terms of the financing. I can't remember which company went public, but they went IPO. It was one of the, the really big ones, but they went IPO like direct to the public, like no kind of, you know, um, large investors or institutional investors. And I'm like, you go like, you know, seriously, like just keep showing us different ways of doing this because, you know, it's very capital intensive, our business, and it's a very long business cycle. So any way that we can create some innovation on the financing cycle, I think it overall helps the industry. And then IPOs, I think, again, I'm not, I feel like maybe perhaps I'm misspeaking on the investment community. They're incredibly important. Their job is incredibly hard. Picking winners, which is what they're graded on, given all the complexities and the uncertainties of our businesses is a really tough job. So anyway, I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for these different vehicles that they're participating in, including a reverse merger, because we had some of the investors in the target company come into our financings. Options are good. And then that staying power is what we all need. Uh, we brought up the phrase uh, patient centricity a few times during the podcast. And you know, it's certainly something that a number of companies talk about. 
I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on how best to implement patient centricity as a core tenant to corporate culture. We, we often talk about it, but I think very frequently we don't actually do the hard work that's involved in making sure patients are, are front and center. And would love to hear your thoughts on some of the best practices that you've observed and implemented over, over time. Yeah. So I think patient voice is incredibly important right from the beginning of the journey. I mean, in discovery, even, I think it's motivating for people and the long hours in the lab to actually see a patient that, and again, most of the time, those patients aren't going to be the ones benefiting from your drug. You know, it's tough. I remember I was doing some consulting work for a company that was innovating in Parkinson's. And two gentlemen came in to speak with the CSO and he invited me in. And I remember both of them. And I thought, wow, like the drug wasn't even in the clinic yet. And these people are representing the effects of Parkinson's and speaking about it with me and the company. And I just thought that was a gift and it's a huge motivator. So I think bringing the patient's voice and presence into the company as the innovation is moving forward is a must-have for patient centricity. That's that's a absolute number one. You obviously can't do that every day. The question is, how do you create some staying power with those voices as the company makes decisions? And so one of the paradigms I've tried to explain to my teams and my company and try to get other people to also be able to articulate this is, we should be able to explain any decision that we make as if there was a patient in the room listening, right? They may not agree with it or like it, but if you can explain it in a rational way as it relates to how the long game that we need to play, then I think we've thought about it appropriately and we can move forward. I think if there's any sort of like discomfort and like, well, I don't think I'd want to say that. Okay, well, then maybe that's something we should really examine because there's some either moral or ethical tension there that is actually what might be prohibiting the right decision. I think that's incredibly important for culture setting. And that's how I've tried to help X4 shape that. And I think people feel really proud of the culture that we have at the company. I I really like that. Always talk as as if the patient's in the room. I haven't heard that before. I really like that. Great. Well, Paula, on on that note, thank you for sharing what I'm sure is a, a little bit of all the wisdom that you have acquired and developed during your entrepreneurial journey. It was a blast having you on. Thanks for taking the time and sharing your story. Thank you so much, Rahul. Thank you so much, Alok. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi, and Alok Tai. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.